Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. And once again, Lord, we ask that you would take this time that we've dedicated to the study of your word. We ask that you would make us good students of your word, that we would study it, Lord, that we would learn from it. And most of all, Lord, you would instruct us in how to live, that you would encourage us to live by faith. And Lord, we just ask for your blessings upon this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Pick your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to James chapter 1. And we're kind of continuing. Uh, it's not a, a, a hard series as, as would an exposition of a book or uh, uh, topics like we have done in the past, but uh, what, I'm, what we are going to be doing on the next several Thursday nights, if we, uh, by God's grace, is just looking at uh, several of the more difficult passages in the Bible. And difficult does not necessarily mean difficult to understand. The emphasis of the Bible is not necessarily on knowledge, it's on living. And turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 1. These are verses that we know well. And... Uh, I would like for us to look through this passage and then, uh, as we have on so many occasions, try to get the commentary on this passage that God has already provided in the Scripture, and then come back and try to wrap this up a little bit and, and make an application and hopefully some encouragement here that, that will help us in our life. Um, for the Lord. As we read James chapter 1, of course, verse 2, where we're going to start, everybody says, yeah, 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 I understand. I'm supposed to be happy when bad things happen. Now, is that what it says? Let's examine the text. Let's let the words there. And and I'll tell you, there are some people uh, uh, that just go around looking for bad things to happen. In fact, if you're not careful, you, you'll become part of the number of those people who invite bad things to happen. And, and that is not the meaning of this passage at all. So let's just start in verse 2. We'll read down through verse 8. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man... Think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And before we delve too deeply right into our text, the last verse there, how many of you have experienced being double-minded? You've had arguments with yourself, and you go back and you go forth, and it is... Absolutely imperative 
that if we are going to be used of the Lord, if we're going to witness, if we're going to tell other people about Jesus, we better know where we're going first. You know, people are watching. And when our Christianity doesn't measure up, when when we sit there and falter and start second-guessing God, how many of you have ever done that? Uh, If you're human, you have. And and this passage here gives us uh, a way to get around this and through this, a warning not to allow ourselves in the realm of that double-mindedness. And and what I'd like to do first is look up the definition or read the definition I've looked up, actually, to the word count. It says, to tell over one by one. To assign to individual objects in a collection the numerals 1, 2, 3, etc., so as to ascertain their number. To number, enumerate, to reckon, reckon up, calculate. Also, to merely repeat numerals in order up to a specified number as to count 10. So, That is the definition. Now, how many of you have been astounded by my great scholarship here, finding definition of the word count? Uh, uh, We we count many things. And, And if you're not careful, when you leave the store and don't count your change, what happens? Well, sometimes people will take money from you that belongs to you. Now, won't they? Uh, And... Uh, the whole thing here, when it says, count it all joy, uh, you know, we, we have uh, the men in the church Sunday night, we count the offering. But do you know that there are limitations on us as men who count the offering? We can only count what's there. Now, there have been many more times that I wish I could count more dollars than we're put into the offering plate. It would make things easier, uh, writing the checks and paying the bills, but, but we're limited because we can only count what is there. Now, when it tells us to count it all joy, it says, hey, uh, we need to be able to add this up. Uh, we need to be able to reckon it. We need to be able to understand some things here. Not based on our hopes, so whims, fancies. Oh boy, bad things have happened. I mean, when I got that uh, 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 email yesterday from the insurance agent, and he said it's going to be eighteen thousand dollars for uh, the uh, uh, building insurance, and he said I worked out this deal, and you're only going to have to put in sixty-eight hundred dollars as a down payment, and I'm sitting here going. This is not good news. Uh, I called Brother Mike and I said, this is what we got. And he says, how can we sustain that? I said, I'm asking you. I don't know. And and so, praise the Lord, he comes back today and it's $5,000 cheaper. And I'm saying, okay, we're we're getting into the area, not that we can afford, but uh, we're we're finally getting somewhere that it it might be a, a workable thing here. But... It says what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be able to add up these diverse 
temptations and the sum total, the answer is always going to be joy. Say, no, wait a minute. How's that work? Well, how many of you have had God bring you through a difficult time in your life? If you're saved, if you're living for God, now, when you got through that time and all of a sudden it dawns on you, like Peter in Acts chapter 12, I'm actually standing in the city streets, not with my head on the chopping block in front of Herod, which was supposed to happen the next morning, he came to himself and he says, what am I going to do? He says, "Uh, you know what? I think God just rescued me. Uh, Do you think there was joy in Peter's heart and understanding of life at that thought? Amen? How many of you are able to see that God has develop some Christian maturity in your life by testing you. Hello? Does that equal joy? To know that the God of heaven is molding your life to make you ever so little much more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Should we count that joy? Should we reconcile that? When we add that up, we should understand that that is joy. Does that mean I'm jumping up and down and going, Oh, the engine just blew up in the van. Yay! No, that's not very realistic now, is it? What is realistic when we face these diverse temptations, when things are heading, coming at us from every direction, how many of you remember what Paul said? We're, we're pressed down, but we're... Uh, and he goes through this whole list of, of, uh, of terrible things that are happening. And he says, but I'm not quitting. I'm going to keep serving Christ. Because we have to understand something... We must have our faith tried if we're going to get more patience. Now, how many of you be honest like your preacher tonight and say, I need more patience in my life? I'll put my hand up. I need it. Well, there's only one way you get patience. Your faith has to be tried. How many of you have ever tried to run a a race or exercise and build your strength up to a certain number of pull-ups and push-ups or something like that? I'll tell you what, there is pain involved, is there not? Uh, And it it is work and it is effort, but when you reach that goal, there is, hey, there's a sense of accomplishment here. Now, We're talking about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're we're talking about being drawn closer to Christ. And and this is a hard statement here, but we're we're not just a a bunch of silly people who stand there and go, Oh, goody, bad things are happening. 
No, we, we've got reasons to add this up. We, we've got things in this book called the Bible that tell us when we enumerate what is going on, when we sit down and categorize it, when we add this up, the trying of my faith is going to work patience, and patience, if I will let it work completely in my life, it is going to make me perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, oftentimes we, we talk about the judgment seat of Christ and standing before God with much fear and trepidation. Do we not? How would you like to be complete, perfect, and not lacking anything when you stand before God on Judgment Day? That would be quite an accomplishment, would it not? Okay, well, let's go back here. You see, being perfect and entire, wanting nothing, means that as is said in other passages in the Bible, that we may have boldness when we stand before God. That, that we would be ready to meet the Lord. It was Paul that said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. What a testimony. None of us know when our time is up. But I'll tell you one thing. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ at all tonight, you want to be able to echo those words when you stand before God. Can we say amen to that? The air conditioning's on, so I can't hear you, so you have to open your mouth and, and enumerate those words. I mean, this is what this passage is talking about. And the ingredients, why it doesn't work, is we're missing wisdom. You see, wisdom is something that only comes from God. Wisdom doesn't come from you. You ever wonder why these quote-unquote scholars act so ridiculously dumb at times? Uh, The joke is that, well, they may know calculus, but they don't know to come in out of the rain. Uh, I mean... We, we have these things going on. What, what is the problem? Is they have no wisdom. Because they're not seeking God. They're seeking what's in their own mind. They're seeking knowledge. What does knowledge do? Knowledge puffs up. Wisdom is what I need to let patience have its perfect work. So that when I stand before God, I'm not going to be cowering. I'm going to to be ready to meet Him. Now, how do you get wisdom? You have to ask God. And and here it says, nothing wavering. Now, uh, if you turn on your TBN and your Pentecostal guys and your tongue speakers and your signs and wonders people, they'll say, oh, listen... Do you have any doubts? Uh, if you have doubts, it's not going to work. Can I ask you a question? 
Have you ever experienced a time in your life where you were completely free from your sinful, doubting nature? Hello? I wish that were true. Maybe I could illustrate it this way. How many of you have ever had to drive somewhere you've never been before? And you're driving down the road, and your directions say you're supposed to turn here and go five miles down the road and make a left turn at the third cow that's always standing. I, I hate directions like that. There's always cows in the pasture. Just make a left turn at the corner and you'll be there. Well, give me a name of a road. Well, there aren't any names of the roads here. And I, I always, it's just like, have we got there yet? Uh, 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 And my wife will go, listen, the directions say to keep going until you get to the next turn. There hasn't been one. Well, maybe we missed it. Anybody there like that? Here's what not wavering means. I keep driving down the road till I get to the right turn off. And if I make a mistake, I turn around and go back to the right turn off. You see, that's what not wavering is. You see, the idea of this double-mindedness is something that is endemic in our society. Uh, Dogmatism, actually knowing who you are and where you're going is is a great evil to most people. If you really want to get a millennial upset, act like you know something. Uh, Because they don't. How many of you read the article that's been around today about the 30-year-old man that just was evicted because he, he would not move? He's gotten five eviction notices from his parents. He's been living in the house eight years, and, and his parents say, We've had enough. We want you out of here. And, and the interviewer was talking with him and saying, He says, I am so relieved to be moving out of my parents' house because of a court order. He said, well, what are you going to do? I don't know yet. You know, I I believe that there's going to be funding and I'm trying, but it's just not going to happen tomorrow. That's that's why I'm I'm hoping to work this out in another three months. And, And I got news for you, parents. If it hasn't worked in eight years, it's not another three months isn't going to make a bit of difference. How many are with me here? I mean, that's today's news. I couldn't make up a story so foolish. But that's what double-mindedness does to you now, isn't it? It's back and forth and forth and back. And it's always looking at the problem here. Now, this is our text. And we're familiar with the text. We've been through this passage many, many times. Why are we going through it again? How many of you would say, I could use another trip through James chapter 1? I mean, I could. Hello? Hello? Yeah, I see the heads going up and down. Now, you want God's commentary 
Don't go get books off your shelf. Open up your Bible. How about Genesis chapter 22? How about Genesis chapter 22? Would you turn there with me? How many of you know the story of Genesis chapter 22? You will once we get there. Does anybody know off the top of their head Genesis 22? Okay, I see one Bible college student raising his hand. There's a second one. Okay, good. I was hoping they'd teaching you something there at Heartland. And uh, uh, Genesis chapter 22, this is the story. And again, we're, we're talking about hard sayings. You talk about a hard saying, this is one of the most difficult sayings in the entire Bible. In verse 1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Now, people have a problem with that. Uh, the book of James, where we just were, if you go on down, it said, God is, cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Well, if you would, put a finger in Hebrews chapter 11, because we'll be coming back there. And, and again, we're going to let the Bible help us here and help us understand what is being said, Hebrews chapter 11, sorry, the pages are sticking just a little bit here, there we go, verse 17 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was, what's that next word there, tried, oh, does that sound like the book of James? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing the trying of your faith worketh patience. You see, God wasn't trying to get Abraham to sin. He was stretching or trying or exercising his faith. Now, I am so glad that this story happened to Abraham. Because I don't know what I would do if it happened to me. How many of you would be making excuses? Brother David would be saying, that's okay, I don't have any sons. And so that, that's, that's pretty good. And, and uh, couldn't be talking to me because I have so many sons, right? Uh, no, listen. God came to Abraham and he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. There's no question about what's going on here. And I want you to offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'm going to tell you of. You talk about a hard saying. Now, what did Abraham do? If it were me, the first thing I would do is write a dissertation why God does not accept human sacrifice. Right? This is not in character with the God that I have worshipped all of these years. I mean, is that what Abraham did? No. What did he do? Verse 3, And Abraham rose up early... In the morning. But wait a minute. How long did Abraham wait for God to fulfill the promise of Isaac? He was 75 years old when they entered the land of Canaan, and Abraham 
looks at God and says, what good do these promises, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, do? What good are these promises, seeing that Eliezer of Damascus is the head of my household here? He's the one that stands to inherit all my possessions when I die. And God says, I'm going to give you a son. He still had to wait 25 years before Isaac showed up. How many of you have ever waited 25 years for something? I mean, that's a long time. Now God says, I want you to take him up. And this burnt offering thing is not a pleasant thought. It is... Killing the animal. It is lighting a fire and it is burning that animal to, uh, uh, to ashes. That, that's a burnt offering. Now this is Isaac. This is not a, a, a lamb or a ram or even a bullock. This is, this is his son. But Abraham rose up early. He took everything he needed. We're not going to take time to go through the whole story tonight or we wouldn't, we wouldn't get through the message because we've got to get back to James chapter 1 yet. But he rose up early. He took everything he needed. He made a three-day journey. Three days. And there was an endless loop in Abraham's mind playing over and over and over again. And if we read the book of Hebrews, which we will in a few moments here, it tells us what that loop was. I'm going to obey God and I'm going to kill my son. I'm going to burn his body to ashes and God is going to resurrect him out of that fire out of those ashes, and I and my son are going to return. You say, how do you know that? Well, read Hebrews chapter 11, but let's uh, look in verse 5 of, uh, of Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. It's hard for me to read this passage and not remember a sermon that I was subject to many years ago. Uh, A very flamboyant and emotional preacher spent 40 minutes trying to develop and bring up all of the emotions that Abraham was feeling as he was going to explain to Mrs. Abraham, as he called her, how he killed their son. I want to challenge you, that was never in Abraham's mind. He said, I and the lad are going yonder and worship, and I and the lad are coming back. Because God always keeps his promises. Does that sound like something you could count on? Hello? Uh, There's something you can count on. God always keeps his word. So, What should you never, ever waver from? His Word. You see, here's our commentary. Do you think Abraham was saying, finally I get to do damage to that boy? 
don't think so. I mean, I've met some fathers over the years that would have said, Really? Thank you, God! No, that's... What kind of father would that be? Not a biblical one. How evil could you be? One of the reasons God gives you sons is so they can prove to you what a pain you were to your parents and to the Lord on many occasions. By the way, daughters teach the same lesson, do they not? And and, and so, um, as we move on through our text here, Abraham said, I and the lad are going to worship God. Now, what is worship? Oh, we get a group of people and they get on the stage and they sway back and forth and they sing sweet songs and, and, and uh, tap the tambourine and we call it worship, right? Wrong. Worship is obedience to God's words because He's God. That's a working definition of worship. That's what Abraham was going to do. He did not ask God to explain. Uh, It didn't need explaining. Was this a hard thing? Was this a difficult thing that God asked? Was this unreasonable, we might say? Absolutely, every one of those things. But Abraham knew it was God. And so he was going to follow God's word. And when God says sacrifice, that's worship. And he said, so I and Isaac are going to worship. And one thing I I like to point out here is, let's say that Isaac right now was 18 years old or 16 years old. Where would Abraham be then? 116 if if Isaac were 16 years old. Now, do you think a 116-year-old man could manhandle, trick, tie up, pick him up, and throw him on an altar without a little consent from the 16-year-old? You see, I believe that Abraham had enough faith in God and in his faith in God and in his relationship with his son that when he explained what God wanted, that Isaac would comply. I believe that's why Isaac is also listed as one of the great men of faith. His act of faith was being obedient to his father. Now, You talk about faith. Now, son, God says we got to kill you and burn you to ashes, but God's going to resurrect you. Well, that's easy for you to say. You got the easy part. You know, I'm I'm the one that's got to feel the pain, and and I'm the one that's got to be reconstructed after you've done, uh, changed everything here. Uh, But but I, I don't believe that, Abraham, in worshiping God, would have used deceit or trickery or some kind of uh, uh, thing there to 
deceive, to, to, uh, to ensnare Isaac into being a part of this plan. That's not worship. That's not how we worship God now, is it? By the way, Abraham left the servants a long way off so they couldn't see what was going on because what would have happened if Abraham had tried to explain this to the servants? Uh, They would have tied Abraham up and put him on the donkey and they all would have went home. But Abraham said, we're going to obey God. We're going to do what God says. We're not going to waver. And it wasn't until Isaac was laying there on the wood, the knife was in his hand, he was poised to kill his son, to take his life. The fire was waiting to burn the wood on which his son was laying and consume the body. And the angel of the Lord calls unto him out of heaven, saying, Abraham, Abraham. Now, couldn't you imagine Abraham going, Yes, Lord! I I was hoping I would hear that voice. And the thing that I like to point out about this story was, there was a ram caught in a thicket that was the substitute. And verse 14, it says, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Look at verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself. It doesn't say God will provide for himself. It says God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Now, let's go to the book of Hebrews. And stick with me. We, we, we're going to go back to James here in a minute. And I hope in your own mind and heart you're already making some connections here. Abraham did not jump up and down for joy, but he counted it all joy to be obedient to God. Amen? And Abraham did not waver. He was not double-minded. He did exactly what God's Word said. He did not hesitate. He did not draw back. Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. You see, Abraham, those three days that they were journeying, was thinking, I'm going to obey God. Isaac's going to die. I'm going to light the fire. And Isaac and I are coming down off the mountain. You see, the joy was Isaac and I are coming down off the mountain because God always keeps his word. Amen? 
we'd say, wow, that's childish. Yeah, that's what Jesus said was a prerequisite for salvation, was a faith of a child. Amen? And God stopped it at the very last moment. And people, I've had people say, well, why did God do this and torture Abraham in such a way? Well, Abraham was the really the only person between Genesis chapter 3 and Acts chapter 2 that understood what God was going to do to save us from our sins. Amen? You see, we look at sometimes what Jesus Christ went through, what God the Father went through, that we might be saved, and we almost take it for granted, do we not? Well, God is God. He can handle anything. Well, yeah, that's true. But God did all of this to Abraham so that you and I could walk ourselves through that story and live a little bit of the emotion that Abraham went through without having to go through it ourselves like Abraham did. Are we still together? You see, when it all got done, you know what Abraham understood? How much God loves us. Does that equal joy, my friend? Huh? How, how is that for joy? Uh, I don't think you could get much more in understanding how much that God really loves us. Now, let's go back to James chapter 1 here again. And let's walk through this thing. Okay, what does it mean to count it all joy? Well, we we got we to gotta start with the word count. It means to put numbers to, to put in order, to ascertain the amount. That when difficult things come our way, when our faith is tested, when we feel ourselves being stretched in ways that are not comfortable... We have to reconcile in our hearts and in our minds that God is doing something. You see, without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must what? Believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. How many of you have ever caught yourself forgetting that God is, and that God is good. You see, that's counting it all joy. It's not based on what you are feeling and what you are experiencing. It's based on who God is and what He is going to do in our lives. Can we get our eyes off ourselves? If you can't, you'll never live these words. 
Abraham had his eyes fixed on God. It's the only explanation of how he could obey God's Word and do the things that he did. It would be the only way that his son Isaac, upon hearing and seeing and understanding what his father explained to him, that he would comply and be a willing participant in obedience to the God that had given him life to his parents when his mother was 90 and his father was 100. You see, a God... How many of you believe God can do miracles? Every one of us do. The problem is, will He do the miracle that we need to get the boilers inspected at Union? Oh, now now it changes. That, that's very frustrating. Because every time we call the inspector in, he finds something else wrong. You know, I, I think the inspector has some problems. I really do. But that's beyond the realm of my authority. I, I can't instruct the inspector. In fact, if I allow my flesh to have its way and start trying to do that, it's just going to be that much longer before we get the inspections. What do I need? Patience. I stopped at the plumbing supply and showed him our dilemma. And I said, my plumber said, I'll figure this out. I said, can you help me? Do you have anything in the plumbing supply that will help me figure this out? And he goes, I don't think so. He said, half the hot water heaters in this country have horizontal valves. He said, what, what is the guy's problem? I said, that's my question. I said, but uh, we still got to turn it 90 degrees or he's not going to pass us. So we're working on it. You, you pray for us. You pray for me, all right? But you know something? Instead of getting angry at the inspector, which I did, I confessed to the Lord, I'm going to keep my eyes on the Lord and ask Him for wisdom that I don't have. Now, you pray for me because the plumber did pull out something that looked like it might work. And so I'm going to go tomorrow and pick one up and see if it might work. But you have to keep your eyes on God. Obedience to Him is the only thing that matters. You want to get past your feelings of misery and inadequacy and failure? Get your eyes on Jesus and forget about yourself. And just obey Him and things will change. They did for Abraham, didn't they? That's what this passage says, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I mean, there's not a one of us in here that is saved tonight that wouldn't want that in our lives. You see, the wisdom that you need is not to quit obeying God's Word until you've done it. 
How often am I to forgive my brother? Till seven times? What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. And one preacher added, if you're counting, are you really forgiven? I think that's what Jesus was implying in 70 times 7, don't you? You see, it's not about what I am going through. It's about being obedient to Jesus. That's faith. And that's not wavering. And that is the cure for the double-mindedness. Abraham now, when this is all over, he says, I know what God is going to do to save us. How could God love us any more than to give His Son to pay the price for our sins? That love is, is far exceeding above anything that could be dreamed up. Sometimes I'll say to one of my daughters, what are you watching? Oh, oh, Dad, this is just some girl movie. And I'll say, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, They show up and they hate each other and they hate each other and they hate each other and they end up getting married. Isn't that the way it all works? Oh, come on. Man is always trying to invent some new love story. Could I challenge you, there is nothing in the imagination of man that has ever been written that even, that you could even begin to compare what's in the Bible. How many of you have been offended by another human being? You want to get that taken care of? Get your eyes off your offense and put it on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it works. How do you love people that are unlovable? Uh, get your eyes off the people and put it on the Lord Jesus Christ. Read First John chapter 5. How can I be perfect in this life and entire wanting nothing so when I stand before God, He will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But you've got to let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire. And if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith. That means you ask God while you're obeying God. Nothing wavering. I'm not going to stop obeying God. I'm going to keep obeying God. Because he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven of the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We, We live in an unstable world, do we not? The summit is on. The summit is off. The summit is on again. Well, it's probably off again. We don't know. Does that sound like double-mindedness to you? Guarantee it is. Because those men have nothing, know nothing of the faith and the wisdom that comes from God alone. 
How do we live these words? Follow Abraham's example. Amen. God's commentary on his word. Stop worrying about what you're feeling and start being concerned about being obedient to the instruction that God's already given you. Hardly a week goes by, I don't get some email or some phone call. We have discovered a wonderful way of fill in the blank, of your church being more effective in its ministry. My answer is always the same. I'm still trying to take care of the things I know. When I get that done, I'll call you. Uh, I've saved the email uh, in the trash file. Uh, No, but I've, I've got the information. If I need your help, I'll call you. But I've got enough to take care of to be obedient to God. I don't need to worry about you helping me out. Amen? Simple. Bible. I don't know about you, but preparing this message has encouraged me some, and I hope that it will encourage you to not waver. It doesn't look like the exit is anywhere in sight. It's there. You just keep going straight till you get there. If you turn around and come back, you're just going to have to turn around and go back further. We don't have time to waste. We need to serve the Lord. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that there are hard sayings in there. We're thankful that this book is not subject to human reasoning and wisdom. But it is your wisdom and it is your reasoning. And Lord, we ask that you would encourage us to simply be obedient to your word, to follow the example of Abraham. And Lord, that we would understand, that we would be able to count it up and make it work and make it add up, that these difficult situations we face equal joy. Lord, work in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Before say amen, maybe the Lord has touched your heart and you need to add a little bit to some of those prayers yourself. There's time.